This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with RJ Abedia from The Bootleg, the 24-7 site for Stanford University. Uh, boy, it just seems like yesterday we did this last year, uh, RJ, but just a little bit different feeling around both football programs. Give me an idea, 30,000 feet view of what's going on at Stanford right now in both football and basketball with all the county regulations that have kind of um, made it tough for you guys. Well, it's the, uh, it's the traveling roadshow um, for both programs, actually. Uh, Stanford football, and I, I give them a ton of credit for the speed with which they reacted and mobilized this. But yeah, as, as you said, Santa Clara County came down with, with some harsher restrictions and basically cut out um, sports as an activity at the high school, college, at every level, basically, professional as well. And so Stanford got this news, I want to say Sunday, um, early Sunday or late Saturday night at the earliest, I believe. And um, they were able to mobilize and physically move the program essentially uh, to Seattle. Um, And the first night up there, I think they traveled on a Tuesday. Right. Um, The first night up there, uh, Washington was good enough to let them use their indoor facility and then they'll be at high schools throughout the week. And then the plan is after Saturday, they're going to go and just drive out to Corvallis and they will be in Corvallis to prep for the Oregon state game the following week. So they are on the road and then basketball got out of town uh, before the restrictions hit and they just completed the quote Maui and quote, Invitational in Asheville, North Carolina, and they're going to stay out there, basically, um, and try to find some games. Um, obviously, they didn't have much of a choice. If you if you come back to Stanford, you're basically detonating your season at least until 2021, and so they didn't want to do that. So they're staying out there, and um, the expectation is that they're going to get some games. They're going to lose, I want to say, three home games um, based on the current schedule. Their first Pac-12 game would be Pac- uh, USC in Los Angeles on the 12th. And then they were scheduled to host Arizona on the 19th. And they're looking for a different venue to do that. So they're going to be out on the road for quite a while. But I think to a man, the players on both teams would happily say, this means we get to play games. We're, we're in. We sign up. We're good with it. Tell me about David Shaw. Just uh, everybody's still happy with the job David Shaw is doing. I know that a lot of time people say you can only stay at a program, you know, seven, eight years, and then you're pretty much done. David Shaw has been there a long time. You know, what's the feeling with him right now? You know, I think Nick Saban said, and I forget the percentage, but he talked about how 
you basically lose X percent of the fan base every year that you're there. Um, and that's Nick Saban. That's somebody who's routinely showing up in playoffs and winning national championships and things like that. And so, you know, I think realistically attrition has kind of hit the perception of coach Shaw in that way. Um, I don't think he's, you know, I think the national perception of him is obviously he's essentially untouchable and, um, you know, he's got a lot of virtues and a lot of things that people choose to celebrate about him. Um, the program has dipped in the last three to four seasons in terms of the level of play and the results. Now, he's still the most successful football coach in the history of the program. Um, and there's really not much of a debate there at this stage. But I would say, you know, people are taking note and, and the program's arrow has not been up for the last couple of years. And so, you know, it's Stanford. This isn't like other programs where, you know, a four and eight season leads to the detonation of the staff at a minimum and a supreme and a very hot seat for the head coach. I would say, you know, neither of those things happened for Stanford after going four and eight last year and even stumbling out to a zero and two start this year before they won last week. So I don't know. I, I would say, He's still as among the top 1% of power five coaches in terms of job security at this point. Um, but they've, they've got some work to do to, to turn things around and to get back to where they were in the first five years of his tenure. Saturday's game, it all starts with the quarterback. And I always say it's a really good thing to have a senior quarterback who has experience and you have one and a good one in Davis Mills. Tell people what to expect uh, from Davis Mills on Saturday. Uh, Davis Mills is a talent. Um, he is a guy who came in his class. It was the 17 class where his peers were Tua Tungavailoa and Jake Fromm, among others. And um, I think the frustration for Stanford fans through no fault of Davis's is they just haven't seen enough of him in his Stanford career. He's just had no kind of health luck at all. And the times when they have seen him overall, he showcases what he's got. And what he has is a very clean, very strong arm um, that is very consistent. Um, he's got a very, very calm demeanor um, that you get very quickly when you talk to him. And, and that shows up on the field. You know, he doesn't get overly flustered um, too many times. He completed... 75% of his passes in the big game um, last Friday. And he's when, when he gets protection, um, he's good. He doesn't, he doesn't miss. If you give him time, he's not going to miss. He's not going to beat himself with too many bad passes. Um, he's not infallible, of course. And it should, be, it should be noted, this is a quarterback who in his fourth year, I don't believe has even started 10 games yet. He hasn't even crossed that threshold. So he's an experienced slash inexperienced quarterback in a certain way, but he's very talented and Stanford feels very, very good about his control of what is a very intricate and complex offense. Does he have the weapons to throw to? He does. And one might argue he's got more weapons than any Stanford quarterback has ever had. Um, it's le at least in the wide receiver core. Um, I don't think there's a, there's not a top shelf, receiver in terms of like a conference player of the year level guy um, 
or like a national all-American level guy, but the depth and the quality of the depth is something Stanford has not had in the past. Um, senior Connor Weddington, who was a Washington native, um, junior Michael Wilson, junior Osiris St. Brown, and uh, junior Simi Fajoko um, are all guys capable of making big plays down the field. And they are very, for the most part, they're all very physical guys. Um, and they're talented and they're good and they are a challenge in the sense of, you know, if you're, if you're in the secondary, you've got to put your third or fourth best cover guy on one of those guys. And that's a matchup I think Stanford really likes. Um, they feel really good about their backs. They've got two sophomore backs. Austin Jones will get most of the carries, uh, but Nathaniel Pete is another guy they are really high on and they're both very good runners. They're both very good catching the ball and they're both very good in pass protection, which I would imagine is going to be very important this week against the Husky pass rush. Tell people a little bit more about Austin Jones. So Austin Jones came out as, um, I mean, according to 24 seven, our own Brandon Huffman, um, Brandon considered him the top running back on the West coast uh, in his 19 class. And um, last year he, he got his feet wet. Um, Stanford had Cam Scarlett, who was more of a veteran presence. Uh, but Austin, Austin flashed in his time last year and he's kind of just taken over the starting job. Um, he's very comfortable running inside the tackles. He's a physical guy. Like I said, he can catch it. Um, the run game is a work in progress for Stanford as it has been for the last few years. And they are more of a pass first team at this stage but it's not because they don't have faith in their running backs that's for sure Stanford with a history of star power at uh, tight end Um, lots of names lots of guys in the NFL lots of guys with big contracts in the NFL doesn't look like they may have the star power there but a couple of solid guys at tight end with a fifth year senior and a senior at tight end yeah Tucker Fisk um, you know you don't you get you get varying reports, right? But you don't necessarily hear too much about a, a tight end sitting between 260 and 280 pounds, but that probably should tell you about his role in the run game. And, you know, with him and Scooter Harrington, yeah, they're not the Zach Ertz, Dalton Schultz, Colby Parkinson pass-catching threats, but Stanford has snuck them in. And you can kind of tell teams that, go to sleep on them. Stanford stings them one, one or two times a game by finding those guys. Um, they like to use them a little bit in the red zone. Um, so they're, they're to be accounted for, but certainly not the threats that Stanford has had in the past. Also just offensive line. Stanford's just known for having big guys up front. Uh, I think that's the same this year. They stuck out those guys and, you know, the local guy, one of the best linemen ever to come out of the state, Foster Sorrell, is starting at right tackle. But you know, you're mentioning this is more of a pass-first offense. Is that because of the talent that they've recruited or just a philosophy change? Talk to us a little about the offensive line and where their strength is. So the offensive line, it, it, it's been a transition, to say the least. And it's been a transition significantly hampered by injury. Um, under offensive line coach Kevin Carberry, who I want to say now is in his third season, and he's never really had a truly healthy group. And last year, Stanford was forced to start, you know, anywhere from three to four freshmen um, 
in games. And these were guys who were not where they wanted to be weight wise because they're freshmen. Um, this year, they, um, they've got those guys back and they've all had a full season of conditioning. So uh, when you look at it, the seven, the seven returning offensive linemen um, on Stanford's depth chart put on a total of 147 pounds this offseason. And so the, the line's average weight has gone from 289 to 310. And you can see it. You can see it physically out on the field. So, you know, guys like Branson Bragg, uh, Barrett Miller, Jake Hornibrook, um, Walter Rouse, who is the Cardinals starter at left tackle, um, they look like college guys now. And they look more like Stanford guys that you're, that you're kind of referring to. Now, as far as cohesion and effectiveness and dominance, I think Foster Sorrell even said last week, you know, he gave it, he gave their great, he gave their evaluation a tepid good. And I think that's fair, but they've not been dominant. And that's, that's something that I think they're very optimistic about getting to, but that's going to be a process that comes with them just getting more snaps under their belt. So I think you're looking at a good Stanford line coming to this game Saturday. Um, not a dominant one at this point. And still young. I mean, your left tackle is 6'6", 320, and he's a sophomore. Your left guard is 6'5", 315. He's a sophomore. Your center is a senior, 6'3", 300. Your right guard is 6'4", sophomore, 318 pounds. And the old man of the group, the old man, Foster Sorrell at 6'7", 315. Do they still have that power running game? I mean, if how comfortable are you on third and two? It's not been something where they've excelled if you're talking about third and two and kind of the you know people it's funny when people close their eyes it's like they can really see Stanford running that pulling guard play that power running play that they just made their identity and it really didn't matter how familiar you were with it you were going to see it 35 times a game they don't do that now they're far more of a mix they'll throw inside zone outside zone They'll run some counters, some trap stuff, and they do they do run some power stuff, but it's not as imposing as it was. And you know, you bring up third and fourth and short, and that's an area where Stanford has slid um, in the last few years, and a place where eventually those guys are going to have to assert themselves because I think you know that's kind of the the line of demarcation. It's it's one thing to run when they're they're playing pass or pass when they're playing run but sooner or later you got to be able to run when they know you're running and Stanford's not Stanford's not there yet but as you noted they've got youth and there's there's a lot of realistic optimism that they can get back to that place let's say Stanford runs 70 plays on uh, offensive plays on Saturday what's the breakdown how many runs how many passes I would be surprised if there was any more than a plus or minus five either direction. I would expect it to be pretty close. Okay. Um, I think to start the game, they're always going to give the run game a fair shake, but they also know that when you've got a guy like Davis Mills and you've got receivers, there's yards for the taking. And one thing we've definitely seen from Stanford this year is when they stay downhill, when they stay ahead of schedule, um, they can keep themselves out on the field when they get behind the sticks it's a problem. So, you know, you don't want to absorb too many run stuffs and create too many second and tens or third and twelves or things like that. Cause they, it's just not something, it's just not a place where they've excelled. So 
I would expect it to be pretty balanced short of, for some reason, them finding an exceptional level of success with one or the other early in the game. We'll go over to the defensive ball when we return. Just a quick word with our sponsors. We'll be back with RJ Abedia. It's the guys from dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. I'm Kim Grinolds of Dogman.com with RJ Abedia going over the Stanford game, which is slated for a 1 o'clock kickoff on Saturday. And for those out of town, temperature looks like a high of 54 in Husky Stadium and sunny, but uh, you know, just perfect day for football in an afternoon game. So looking forward to that. But looking over at the defensive side of the ball, it always starts up front with Stanford, as well as they've had great guys up front on the offensive side of the ball. They're also noted for having a really good, um, you know, front seven. Tell us a little bit about that defensive line. So they have definitely improved this year. I think they took a significant dip last year, and there was a lot of concern because Jovan Swan and Mike Williams, who were slated to be to be two deep guys at the worst and probably starters, um, both grad transferred out. Swan is now at Indiana, and Williams is at SMU. And, you know, a lot was made of the amount of guys who left, but really it was those two guys that kind of left Stanford in a, in a precarious position. Um, Thomas Booker is the standout on the defensive line. Tomas Schaffer, who is an Austrian native playing college football, um, <clears throat> has stepped up this year. And then there are some other guys like Dalen Wade Perry, um, Ryan Johnson, um, who have kind of been career depth guys who are now getting an opportunity to play. And they, they have not been dominant. They have not been what I think you're referring to when you talk about the good years for Stanford football's defense. And that kind of goes for the whole front seven. They haven't really had much luck generating pass rush. And the thing that had been killing them until last Friday was third down. I think, you know, going, I'm trying to remember and subtracting last week's numbers, but I'm pretty sure Stanford opponents going into last week were converting at over 65% of their third downs. That number is still 56% right now, which is not great for a defense. So they've had issues getting off the field. The one thing that they've been pretty decent at um, has been turnovers. Uh, they've been able to they've been able to get a couple interceptions. They've been able to get some fumbles and recover them. Um, so they can they're they're going after the ball a little bit this year, um, and that's kind of necessary because they just have not been as imposing and physical and disruptive as I think some of the elite units that they've had in the past. I asked you how comfortable you were with uh, Davis Mills and staff, uh, you know, with third and two. How comfortable are you with Washington with the ball third and two against that Stanford defense? I mean, I'm comfortable that Washington's probably going to convert. Um, <laughs> if that's if that was the if that was the angle you were coming at, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's dicey. I mean, again, they they took a step forward 
last week against Cal, I think Cal was five of 16 on third down. And that was a really big step forward. And a big part of that was kind of what I was talking about with the offense. They got Cal behind the sticks. It was, you know, it was kind of a feast or famine scenario. They had seven tackles for loss in that game. And that created a lot of those downs and distances that I was talking about, you know, third and 15, third and 18, where you can quote unquote, get gashed for 13 and you're still coming off the field. You know, and that was, I think, a key to them to them getting off the field because they gave up, they gave up a fifty far fifty. Yeah, try that again. Fifty four yard run um, last week, and they have been susceptible to the big play. So it's saying it as nicely as I can. It's uh, it's eventful when the Stanford defense is out on the field, um, and sometimes that can be good, and that can mean turnovers and and negative plays and you know, kind of the stuff you need to get off the field. And sometimes it means a lot of points for the other team. So yeah, I, I don't think the feeling like you're, like you're asking is, uh, is one of unease uh, when Stanford's defense is on the field. And the hope is always that, you know, the offense is going to put up enough points so that they don't have to get more than, you know, three, four or five stops in a game to create a winning margin. Linebackers looks like you've got some experience there with, uh, you know, you're talking about two seniors and a, and then a fifth year guy. So, um, excuse me, a sophomore, a fifth year guy and a senior, but uh, tell me a little bit about that linebacker crew. Yeah. So inside Curtis Robinson does have experience, but he doesn't have a ton of experience inside. He spent most of his Stanford career on the outside. They moved him to inside linebacker last year and they feel like he's taken a step forward this year. Um, he's definitely made some some big plays as far as like the down to down consistency. I don't know necessarily that he's, you know, at an all conference level, but he's definitely a guy that they're counting on. And he's a fantastic athlete. Um, the young guy, actually, Levani Damuni, the one guy who doesn't have a ton of experience, has actually flashed pretty impressively. He had a pretty nice interception uh, in the Oregon game. I think he had a fumble recovery in that game as well. And he has shown himself to be kind of a guy you can be excited about moving forward. Um, on the outside, they do have experience with Jordan Fox and Gabe Reed. Um, and they've got some young guys in Stephen Heron and Andres Fox, who I think they're kind of waiting for those young guys to step past the older guys, but the older guys just kind of keep holding on to their spots. So we'll see. They haven't had a ton of luck generating pass rush from the outside. Um, but we'll see how much that changes uh, coming into the game on Saturday. Also have a couple of young guys at corner. You've got a sophomore um, back there, 6'1 uh, corner in uh, Caillou Bell, uh, Blue Kelly and uh, Salim Turner Muhammad. He's a sophomore also, and he's six foot. But uh, safety, you've got a little more experience with Kendall Williamson, who's a junior, and uh, Malik Antoine, who's a fifth-year guy. Yeah, and again, I, I think the funny part of it is I think that the buzz – is more on the young guys and the level of comfort's actually more on the young guys. Stanford has been for a few years now, really, really shaky uh, at the safety spot, you know, and those, you know, Williamson and Antoine, they're both veteran guys, you know, they know where they're supposed to be. It's just more of a, you know, when you're going to get up against the kind of receivers and the kind of pass catchers that the PAC 12 has, like you have to be elite back there to hang in. Um, as far as, the corner spots, they are very excited. Um, Caillou Blue Kelly was going to start. He was going to be one of the starters even before Stanford lost Paulson Adebo to uh, NFL draft prep. 
Um, and he's had a little bit of a slow start just basically due to injury, but he's a guy that they're very high on. And Salim Turner Muhammad is a guy replacing another young guy, Ethan Bonner, who has been dinged up the last couple weeks. So um, one of the interesting things that I'll say about the young backs, and you're going to see other names like Zaron Manley, um, Jonathan McGill. Um, you're going to see those guys out there getting a lot of snaps on Saturday, and they're all sophomores or younger. And they all are very willing to stick their nose in and, and be, be a real tackler in run support. And that's been a big thing for Stanford. So, you know, like the physicality, I expect them to get tested. They're young cornerbacks. They've been, they've been burned a few times, um, as all young cornerbacks are. But they've shown some growth, and so it'll be an interesting matchup. I'm, I'm curious to see where and how on the back end Washington uh, chooses to go after Stanford. You expect Stanford to stay in their base defense quite a bit, or uh, how much are they blitzing? Are they bringing people off the corner? Are they, is it just strictly off the edge? Where are they getting the pass rush? They had some success bringing guys, and Lance Anderson is kind of known as a guy – who likes to keep it base in the first half. He kind of likes to use the first half as a chance to kind of go to school on what teams are doing against him and what looks like it's going to work and where they think they can get things. And then they tend to be more aggressive blitz wise in the second half. Um, they were aggressive with the blitz against Cal a little bit more. Um, but I would not say excessive. You know, I think, you know, when you say base defense, you in this era, you're talking about a defense that has two defensive linemen for Stanford, you know, and, and that extra defensive back. So I expect you to see that look in terms of personnel for most of the snaps in the game. And then in terms of who he brings and how often he brings it, I think, you know, success or lack thereof is going to be his guide. Obviously, if he can get home um, without bringing guys and he's not going to do it, but they haven't shown the ability to do that consistently. So I would think I would expect Washington, especially with a freshman quarterback, I would expect them to show, um, to show some stuff, some creative stuff, but it might be in the second half when you really start to see it. Game comes down to a field goal with Stanford kicking a 42, 43 yard field goal. What's going through your head? Well, what's going through my head is they've got a guy who, we all think can make it. And the only thing that's given us hesitation would be the O for four he put up in the first game against Oregon. Uh, Jet Toner has been a, you know, I think it's, I hope I get the award right. That I think it's the camp award, the kicker, the Groza award, I think. Is Groza award. Yeah. He's a, yeah, he's, I mean, he's a mainstay on those lists. He's a, you know, he's an all pack 12 criteria kicker by all by all standards. And then to see him in that first game, miss all four of his kicks was like, Whoa, um, he has definitely bounced back the last couple games. So I think there's more good memories than bad memories by far over the course of his career. So if it came down to him having to hit a kick, um, I think Stanford fans feel pretty good about their chances there. What does Stanford have to do to win the game? I think they got to come out plus on turnovers and I think they have to create some kind of separation via special teams. Um, now, whether that means simply just making your kicks, being solid in your coverage units, and taking advantage of mistakes, which is what happened 
um, against Cal. They blocked two kicks and recovered a muffed fumble that they turned instantly into a touchdown. So if they can create some kind of separation in the third phase, I think they'll be in the game and I think they have a chance to win it. I think it's going to be tough for them purely offense and defensive wise to create separation from Washington. You're not coming up to Seattle. I take it. Sadly. No, uh, it is definitely one of my favorite road trips. It's definitely one of my favorite venues, greatest setting and whatnot. Come on. You like Pullman. You told me about that Pullman. You love Pullman. Well, I said it's one of, (laughs) I mean, you know, when you're talking about late night at the Coug burgers and beers and, Really no civilization outside of there. You know, it's, it's tough to top, but Seattle's not too shabby. And uh, so I am definitely sad that I'm not up there and I'm not going to be there for that game. Okay, one o'clock kickoff on Saturday and the game is on, I'm trying to remember, what station is it on? Do you know? Fox, it's, Big it's, Fox. It's on Big, big Boy, Big Boy TV, Fox, you know? So uh, four o'clock game last week and one o'clock this time, so... Uh, I asked Jimmy Lake today, by the way, I asked him if he had any concerns about his guys having a Saturday night off. Yeah, he wasn't going there. So we, <laughs> we will see. I'm sure David uh, Shaw will have his guys on lockdown Saturday night, but uh, we will see. But RJ, we appreciate you coming on with us. All right. Anytime, Kim. Thanks for having me.